What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Each week, we're going to bring you an interview with a film professional to explore the craft of filmmaking. And this week's no different. I'm going to be interviewing Joanna Noggle, whose recent work includes The Bear. It was a hit show on FX, and we're going to sit down and discuss the scenes that she found difficult to cut and how she tackled creating things that weren't shot, as well as developing a unique contrast between the two primary locations of the show. Now, if you like this, make sure to check us out at FilmmakerU.com, where we bring you the best in the industry to discuss their craft and show you their secrets. These industry experts include Eric Whip, the colorist for Mad Max Fury Road, three-time Oscar winner VFX supervisor Rob Legato, HBO's documentary filmmaker Sam Pollard, among many other amazing creatives. And you're going to want to use The Cutting Room, that's all one word, The Cutting Room, to get 10% off any of our courses there. Now, with that said, let's see what Joanna has to say about editing the bear. Now, I have to ask, I was doing some research before we got into our meeting here, and I noticed that uh, in one of your bios online, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to one day work with Roderick James. Have you had that chance yet? I sadly have not. <laughs> I've not gotten to meet Roderick or the men behind Roderick, um, but I've always loved the Coen Brothers films. Fargo is one of my favorite films of all time, so uh, I credit like them for getting me into like filmmaking in general. And uh, when I found out like the story and lore behind Roderick James, I just thought that was like such a funny like myth and thing for them to do. So um, it would be so cool to work with them someday, but I also feel like they, as their own editors, they probably don't have a very big, you know, like editing staff. So may never happen. I will just keep appreciating from afar <laughs> and that's okay too. <laughs> well, it's funny because I have a question for Roderick myself, which is I read No Country for Old Men and I saw the movie. And it's fascinating the decisions that they were made because the movie sort of shifts it more about following the money and like following this guy taking the money and the guy with the air rod. But the book is all around the cop trying to find the the Tommy Lee Jones character. Yeah, it's basically it's mostly about him. And then like where the movie ends, there's like another 40 or 50 pages of his character trying to come to terms with what he's seen. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. And then the final moment, like the final page, is literally what Tommy Lee Jones says at the end. <laughs> it's like last novel on there. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'd be so interested to hear why certain decisions were made uh, from that book. So if you ever meet them, you'll have to let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll report back. Yeah, I know. I always think it's so fascinating, like adaptations and what they choose to like leave out and. I feel like there's mm-hmm. books I love that then I'm like, oh, the film is okay. And then the reverse happens sometimes too, where you're like, oh, the book was okay. Let me see the movie. And then they just like do something, I don't know, something so unexpected and cool and like find a thread of the story you didn't expect um, in the source material. So uh, yeah, that's that's a fascinating topic for me too. Well, and that's what's interesting is the book, I would consider them two separate pieces of media about the same story. Yeah. Because they yeah. like, in terms of like, I, I, it's almost, you can enjoy them separately and yeah. not see a comparison because they focus so much more on the other object, like elements. Sure. Now, I do want to talk to you about The Bear. How did you get involved with the show? So I have been working with a guy named Josh Sr. for like years and years. He gave me some of my first editing jobs, so I will forever be indebted to him. And we just totally hit it off. And he had just started this post house called Senior Post back in 2012. 
So we started working together around that time and kind of like building out the company. And first we were just doing commercials and branded content and then moved into comedy specials. Um, and then we started working on this show called Rami, which is a scripted show. Um, and we met Chris Storer there and we, the three of us just got along really well. And he directed some of the episodes of Rami. And when I edited them, we just kind of like always gelled and it felt like we had very similar taste. So when he created his own show called The Bear, he came to Josh and was like, I want you to executive produce it. And I'd love for Joanna to edit it. So it was just like, really long kind of relationships paying off. And I was so lucky that I was the first person that they thought of and wanted to work on it. And I hadn't, I hadn't done something this like fast paced and stylized, like the pace is so different from what Chris and I had done on Rami and the episodes he directed. Um, but it was cool that they believed that I could really like take this concept and run with it because there's a lot of freedom uh, the editor gets in the show as I'm sure we'll keep talking about because the pace is so crazy and there's flashbacks and montages and makes you want to, you know, scream sometimes because it's so intense. Um, but that's really, really fun. And I'm so grateful that, you know, these collaborations have like lasted for years and then led to shows that I love working on today. Well, that's what's so interesting is everyone I've talked to who's watched this show, they all sort of say the same thing. They're like, it's really tense or it's yeah. really got attention. So from an editing perspective, like how did you craft that in the cutting room? Yeah, I had never gotten the note <laughs> when we were cutting the pilot of you should make people like want to turn off the episode. Like it should be so intense that people like feel like they need a breather, which was so freeing as an editor to be like, oh my gosh, I can really like push this because a lot of times as an editor, if you're doing your job right, you're almost not noticing the editing. Like the scenes are just flowing together really nicely. The dialogue just feels natural. So to be able to have the freedom to be like, oh, let's like make this feel in your face and loud and you're just thrown into the deep end and you're in Carmi's perspective trying to make sense of this crazy world. Um, it was really cool. And one thing specifically we did to try to just ramp up the intensity from the beginning is originally the beginning of the pilot was a bunch of different scripted scenes. So it was like, okay, first he collects the meat and then he goes and he sells the jeans and then he goes and he fixes ball breaker and kind of like all these steps. And Chris Dora was like, I just want it to feel like a bolt of like adrenaline from the beginning. So we basically took the first 10 minutes and like condensed it down to like three, which was crazy because I wasn't sure it was going to work. And then when we started just making it into this montage, it was like, okay, from the beginning, we're just like, this is the pace of our show. You're in or you're out. It's going to be intense, but we promise that it will be it will pay off in the end and be rewarding if you're up for a show like that, which obviously not everybody is, but um, I think it's just, yeah, it's exciting to just be like, okay, we're off to the races as soon as like he wakes up from that like bear dream sequence at the very beginning. Well, and so, you know, when I think of tension, I think of the opening scene of the second <laughs> episode where they're making the food. What was that footage like when it came in, like for that scene, like, did you have to uh, manipulate it in any way or was it, you know, pretty structured already for you from the script or how did, what was it like with the rushes? Yeah, that was actually one of the hardest scenes for me to cut just because uh, after the pilot, I was like, okay, I get the world of the beef. I know what it should feel like. And then we wanted to create contrast between this other place that Carmi used to work, but it wasn't as easy as like, this place is fast and this place is slow. They were both like very fast, but in different ways. Like the beef is fast in a chaotic, crazy way, but 
um, at the fancy restaurant in New York. I think it was called Empire in the script. At Empire, it was supposed to feel fast, but very fluid. And I think the script is something about like, it should feel like an orchestra and everyone just is like, knows exactly what instrument they're playing at what time. And it should just feel like one organism kind of like moving and breathing. So they shot all this gorgeous B-roll, um, but it felt like it wasn't like connecting as well as I would have liked. So I basically added a couple of like digital zooms to a lot of those close-ups to just make it feel like every shot was moving from left to right, left to right. And just adding that little bit of movement just made them all feel a lot more connected. And then when we got back to the beef, a lot of the close-ups are just like static and they feel like disconnected and they're dirty obviously and just feel like um they have the same like items there but they just look so different everything is like spotless and clean um and so that was like one way that just by adding that little bit of you know added movement in premiere we were able to make everything feel a little bit more fluid and like it was one shot even though there were a lot of cuts within it you're saying like you pushed in and then moved it from left to right type thing Correct. so was it yeah. and that was sort of to create like I guess a feeling of I get moving, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term, but like progression <laughs> yeah. or what have you in the shot. Is that is that what you were doing? Yeah, exactly. I feel like I just kept coming back to this conversation with Chris and Josh about how like it should feel like an assembly line almost. So I almost wanted it to mm. feel like it was just like things that were passing by and everyone was just like adding their touch to it and then it was going to the next person. It just felt like everything was like moving at a consistent pace and everybody was contributing like they knew how to contribute to keep things moving at that pace. Whereas things obviously are fast paced at the beef, but in a way that feels very choppy and like people are all doing different things, especially at the beginning, you know, we're trying to set up like how disorganized they were in comparison to this restaurant that just seemed like everything came together so naturally. Um, and I actually cut that scene originally to the song that had this like really strong beat to it so that everything was like measured out so that it all felt very like even and uh, like geometric almost between the shots, but we didn't want it to feel that loud or like that driving. So it was like a temp track that I was cutting to to find that pacing. And then we pulled it back for a way more like sparse track in the end, which was kind of a, a fun trick. Whenever I talk to an editor and they're like, yeah, yeah. And then we switched the music and I had to redo the whole cut because the pacing was off. So did you like, we left the pacing based on the strong, but we brought in this softer, slower music, that sort of piano, if I remember correctly, to like make it uncomfortable for people? Yeah, so we, yeah, I, I was cutting the temp score I was cutting to was like from the social network because I love that score. And so we were like using that like beat to be like, okay, we're moving and like that's the pace. And then basically we just strip that out and then send it to the composer. And we were like, we don't want anything like this remotely. You know, we want something way more sparse and some other like um, tracks that were like a reference. But we were like, this is the pace. It should still feel like, you know, it's intentional. We're not going to change the shots, but we basically set up the tempo with, with that temp track, even though we ended up replacing it with something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. One of the things about the second episode is, you know, you're trying to create that contrast between the beef and empire. You know, what were some of the things you had to do? You know, episode one, we're sort of in the beef, I guess you could say. Uh, and episode two, we start with Empire and and what have you. So what were some of the things you had to do to differentiate other than because obviously the shots are all white and clean and like everything's sort of pristine in comparison. But what were, what were some of the things you did as an editor? Yeah, like I was talking about, like having the adding a little bit of motion to those close ups, like 
was that created that fluid feeling. And then we have so much B-roll in the beef, but it's just like, you're jumping all, all over and it's really like disconnected and discombobulated. So it was just something we leaned into for sure. And also there is like, as crazy as the beef is, I feel like there is a lot of warmth to it. And there is a lot of like, people are touching each other and like, you know, they pass by and slap each other on the shoulder and they're laughing. And, um, you know, it feels like a very like condensed space because it is where they shot it. But also like, I feel like I intentionally was choosing shots where like there were people in the foreground and it felt like the frame was dirty and it just seemed like a family, a dysfunctional family, but everybody was really familiar with each other. And the shots that we favored in empire were, there wasn't as much like, um, it, it felt like a lot, a much bigger space. And also we weren't choosing shots where it showed people having any sort of like friendliness with each other or any sort of like connection. A lot of the shots were like singles or everybody was like shown at a distance from each other until, you know, we use that footage of Joel McHale coming over and whispering in Carmi's ear. And um, we just like, don't have any sort of, you know, even when, Carmi and Richie are going at it in the beef. It's so much a like two-sided thing where they're both yelling at each other. They're both kind of like fighting for control. And this was so one-sided where it was just like, okay, this guy is just like literally standing over Carmi trying to break him. Um, and there was something so like eerie and cold and intense about that. And one of the things I intentionally was doing while cutting that scene, I remember like reading a uh, interview with the editor of Nightcrawler and how they intentionally cut around Jake Gyllenhaal's blinks to make it more like unsettling. So that was something I kind of played around with this scene too. You only see Carmi blink like twice in the whole scene because he's just like, he's just like so on edge and he's so like, there's no moment of relief. He doesn't want to show any weakness. He doesn't want to be vulnerable. This guy is literally telling him he should like be dead in his ear. And it's just like, the feeling that hopefully comes from just seeing like those close-ups getting closer and closer and he's the can't even blink he's just like trying to focus on what he's doing but can't even like finish without the interruption um I think just building that sort of like relationship between these two characters felt so different from the relationships we were trying to set up in the beef because even though they were dysfunctional in a different way they weren't like sociopathic <laughs> I guess <laughs> for lack of a better word well and you sort you were talking about like um it almost like I don't want to say textures, but like you know the warmth of of the beef versus you know the coldness. So like when you're communicating with the director, like is that sort of how you like to communicate? Like I you know in terms of emotions and and textures or feelings as opposed to the uh, straight cuts type thing. Yeah, I mean I really love the way that like Chris Store communicates his vision for the world because. Um, instead of being like, we should cut out sooner here or like giving me more like nitty gritty jokes. He's like, this is how the scene should feel. Like, how do you think we should, what's the best way to like get the audience to understand that feeling? Um, and I love that kind of input like from a director because um, I, that makes it more like a puzzle for me to solve. Like it's enough direction. Where I'm like, oh, I know where we're going to, where we're trying to get, but like what's, what tools do I have in my disposal to get there, whether that's like music or sound design or cutting style or flashbacks or any of any of the following. So that first scene in the pilot with like family dinner, um, that was something that like, I think was like loosely scripted, but a lot of it was just kind of like them filming the actors and like, they were obviously all just like getting to know each other because it was the pilot and it was the beginning of the shoot. And I remember just seeing the footage and being like, oh, despite all the like yelling and chaos that goes on in the scene that feels so warm and familiar and 
there's there's love you can feel the love around the table um when they're all sitting together so that was something we definitely wanted to lean into and even if just like catching someone looking at each other and laughing or what someone's watching someone else and can you can see the expression of appreciation on their face like the actors in the show are so good that with just a quick glance or watching somebody watch someone else I feel like they really can convey a lot so um I think making sure that shared history of this restaurant that's been around forever is something we've always wanted to come through in the scenes to show that like yes they can hate each other at times but at the end of the day like this was built on a community and that's so important to the show you worked on the pilot and one of the things I always hear is that pilots can be one of the toughest parts of working on a show because you're finding the structure, you're finding the show essentially. Mm -hmm. So what changed in the pilot process when you were cutting that? Like it, obviously the script was there, but like, you know, it's the last rewrite in the edit room. What did you have to rework there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the biggest one um, was kind of what I was talking about before was like really just taking the first 10 minutes and shrinking it down to three minutes like that. I remember when Chris and Josh first pitched that idea, I was like, that's insane. And I was like, it just might work though. So that was fun to kind of figure out. And we cut that montage to lots of different songs too, because we were just trying to find the right um, pacing of it and the right energy. And we started like playing a lot with layering songs too. Like we basically have like that refused like hook that we use a lot, the like guitar strumming, and that will like lead us into another song. Um, there's actually like a scene where Richie and Carmi are like yelling over each other. Um, and we use two different tracks playing simultaneously and it gets louder when Carmi's talking like one of the tracks and then the other track gets louder when Richie's talking and just creates this sense of like discord. And you're like, I can't put my finger on why this feels so stressful, but because you're trying to like hear two different songs at once, that just felt like it, that felt like that, uh, captured that energy of like two people trying to like turn the radio dial to their station. Um, so that was something we definitely found in the edit that they weren't, wasn't something they had talked about on set. We were like, oh, this is something that can like ramp it up more. Um, and there actually, I think was a whole nother scene originally in the pilot where like Carmi loses it a little bit more and is like yelling at the staff and is like, get your act together. And I remember Chris saying like, this feels like it should come later in the season. Like, I think we should like leave people wanting more and just have like a hint of like, you know, where Carmi will go later and now if you've seen the first season you know that like that outburst that happens in episode seven which is such a great episode that I can take little credit for because it's an actual one -er. so I I cannot take much editing credit for it but it's such an amazing episode and you see Carmi turn into that chef from you know episode two he's like has turned into the worst possible version of himself and become someone who just like will yell at his staff and makes it all about himself so um I think if something like that had happened in episode one, we wouldn't have felt this great build throughout the season. So that was totally the right call um, on Chris's point, uh, Chris's um, perspective, you know, to just be like, let's, let's let the audience get to know Carmi more before we see kind of like this other side of him that he could become. So what was the scene that you had the most fun editing then? Because it seems like this was a fun show to edit with the different emotions and tensions and manipulating things. So what was the most fun you had in the for scene wise? I think the most fun scene was probably the start of episode eight, which is when he's having, you know, the, he has, uh, Carmen has a lot of panic attacks and kind of like nightmare scenarios throughout the season. But the like fake 
talk show, 90s style cooking show that turns into a nightmare was really fun. Um, just because I, I feel like I never, I feel like something that I really leaned into with Chris and Josh and Joanna, who's uh, one of the other showrunners, Joanna Kalo, um, was really reusing footage throughout the season to build this anxiety and kind of keep replaying these things that are playing in Carmi's head, whether that's footage of his brother or the bear at the beginning that's in that nightmare or footage from Empire and this horrible chef that mistreated him. So when we got to episode eight and we were like, okay, this is building towards the finale. It was like, okay, what are the things that are like going through his head? We just saw him have this huge breakdown in episode seven where he, Sydney quits and he yells at Marcus. Um, what are the things that would be playing in his head? And we reused a little bit of footage of him like losing it on, Car uh, sorry, on Sydney and Marcus, but also put in stuff from episodes one and two and four and six, you know, just taking a little bit to be like, these are the things going through his head. And then we also ended up cutting in a bunch of like just still photos of food too, um, that I think were taken from Chris's sister's collection. She's a chef in real life and is like a huge influence on the show. Um, so figuring out how to like use that different media of like, we have still photos of food, things that are from like cookbooks that are the reason that Carmi fell in love with cooking paired with this footage. that's like the worst possible version of himself. So like, it's like the two sides of like what he loves about the job and then what he hates about who he could turn into potentially. Um, and you hear all season about how Michael turned into an animal, like his brother and how the restaurant destroyed him. And so I think episode seven is like a little peak of like, oh, this could break Carmi as well. And then episode seven is like the beginning of his redemption and he goes back and apologizes and he is figuring out more like coping mechanisms and how to be a leader. And um, yeah, I just feel like that first scene um, leaning into the absurdity of the cooking show into them, him kind of like coming down from the panic attack was um, yeah, it was just a really fun thing to figure out. So I have to ask, have you been to the beef? Cause it is based on like, it has an actual place called the beef in Chicago, or are you going to go to the beef? <laughs> I have not been, but I'm hoping to go before they start shooting season two. Cause I'd love to see it in person. They shot it at the actual location and then rebuilt the exact replica in a studio for the rest of the season. So I would love to visit both to be like, okay, this is the actual place. And then this is the, you know, fairy tale like version I have on a set. Um, so yeah, I would love to check it out. You worked on Big Mouth and uh, animation editing is incredibly different from regular <laughs> editing. Yeah. So, but I'm wondering if there's any uh, ideas or tricks or techniques that you learned in that show that you were able to carry over into the show. Yeah, definitely. So I was actually doing, um, it was interesting. I was like at the beginning of the process instead of the end of the process. So I was doing like the dialogue editing and making the radio plays and everyone at Big Mouth is just like such a professional and they have, are such a like well-oiled machine. So I was so lucky to come in for uh, season one of Human Resources, the spinoff, and then season six of Big Mouth. So like they had their system in place and I was just like soaking up all of their like knowledge. Um, but basically I was cutting like almost like a podcast version of the episode beforehand. So it was really challenging to figure out how we could make sure that the story was being told without relying on any picture. So it definitely made me appreciate even more like the power of, you know, temp sound design to like really sell a joke or to create, you know, a sort of emotion between two characters and, um, 
we even because there was no picture were really able to like splice together different takes so it was like okay let's take the beginning of this word into this one um let's take the pause from here or we need like a breath or you know just a laugh so I feel like it, I've always appreciated that how much sound work goes into picture editing as well but this really was like took that to the next level of um, yeah, if you're, if your sound isn't working, like the picture isn't going to work either. So really having the time to like work with the best people at what they're doing, really focus on how my sound design skills could get better translated to, you know, back to the bear, which was also a very sound design heavy show. And, you know, I feel like it wouldn't have worked if we were just like, oh yeah. And then imagine kitchen sounds here, you know, like you really wanted to feel that intensity from the first cut. So Adam, the other editor, and I really did a lot of that temp sound work with our assistant editors too, just to make sure we were selling the like environment that we were creating um, at the beef. Well, and Adam Epstein, <laughs> he's comes from SNL and cutting up to the last minute. Was he absurdly fast at editing <laughs> like when you got in there or something? Because I just, when I talked to him, it was like, oh, and then you know, we'd have it done in 24 hours type thing. What was that like? He is such an amazing editor and just collaborator. And um, I, I just was so privileged to be able to be like, can you just watch this cut and like, see this scene? And like, what do you think? And I feel like he always had like a good idea of like, oh, have you thought about like, doing this? Like, what if you do a punch in there? Or like, what if we change the music or the sound drops out? Like, I feel like he from going to editing boot camp, basically 10 years at SNL just like has has so many great ideas um, and brings no ego to the things he's working on is like so so quick to like, you know, jump in and help the team. And uh, I feel like we both I mean, the schedule was very, very tight for the bear, but I feel like it almost mimicked the show in a way um, that we're like, okay, like, let's move efficiently. Let's like get through everything. And they shot so many things like multicam, like there was two angles for two cameras running for most of the stuff that it made it easy to just be like, okay, this is the take. At least we have two angles of it. Um, and then running through the scenes, you know, as quickly as basically we were cutting it. Um, we didn't have to do a lot of that. Like, okay, we have to like fake the pace of how these people are interacting. A lot of that was just how they filmed it too. So it enabled Adam and I to move through uh, at a crazy fast pace. <laughs> um, but that was fun because it just made it like feel like we were along with them for the ride of like, as they were getting their restaurant together, we also were like assembling uh, assembling, you know, the, uh, the season and what it was going to look like, but with a lot less drama than they did for sure. I have one last question for you. What would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film or TV show to watch? Ooh, I'd say my favorite guilty pleasure movie. Um, I recently rewatched Mona Lisa smile for uh, the first time in a while. And I don't know if that counts as a guilty pleasure. I'm like, you know, I feel like, uh, it's, I don't remember. I remember seeing it in theaters when I was like, uh, before I knew I wanted to get into film and just seeing it, I was like, oh my God, this is about like women and art and what it means to be a creative. And I watched it again recently and I was like, okay, I think this is like one of my like low key favorite movies that didn't get a lot of like awards recognition. And I don't know if it actually is like a, a great movie, but I love what it like means to me. And if I ever need like comfort food, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's a great movie. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. And, uh, hope hope it was interesting and not just me rambling about all the different things we did on the bear. That was my interview with Joanna. I want to thank Joanna Noggle for joining me today. I also want to remind you that you get 10% off at filmmakeru.com using the promo code THECUTTINGROOM, all one word, THECUTTINGROOM. 
this podcast wouldn't be possible without our amazing team behind us. Uh, that includes our producer, Jason Banke, and our sound editor and mixer, Evan Winch. I'm Gordon Merkel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>